So Tara, what's the trend you're currently seeing in baseball right now? Let's see. Um, the shift, openers. Are we talking about versatility and movement? Yeah, uh, versatility and movement like two-way players. That's out toward right center field. Going back on it is Zebra at the wall. Goal! Big fly, Otani-san! Now the 0-2. Swing and a miss. Down goes Olsen. A one, two, three, first. That's the pitcher and hitter of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Shohei Otani. Struck him out on a 97 mile per hour fastball up around the eye. High fly ball hit pretty well into left field. And this is Lorenzen's third career home run. And Mike Lorenzen of the Cincinnati Reds. And what do they both have in common? They're both pitchers who throw almost 100 miles per hour fastball while slugging their way out of the ballpark with massive home runs. This is the topic we're exploring today, versatility movement in baseball. From Daylight Interactive and Media 3 Limited, I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Tara Hori. And this is Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. And we try to make something that seems boring about baseball actually really awesome. Today, we discuss the topic of versatility movement and how that has impacted the game and a growing emphasis on the changing team strategy and philosophy. Warning, we do say some bad words in this episode, so if you're listening with kids, please listen later. Yeah. Well, that's going to get Kevin Cash out here. Now, he's not going to the mound. He's going to home plate umpire Alfonso Marquez. Yeah, he's going to... This is going to be a little reindeer game here. Jose Alvarado is going to go play a position for a batter and then come back in for Juan Soto. He's talked about doing this. He has. Jake Bowers looks like he's going to play a little outfield. Some gamesmanship to the extreme going on here at Tropicana Field. How about this? Jose Alvarado going to first base. He's not being hidden at all. They get some action over there at first base. Chaz Rowe takes the mound. Right-handed pitcher going up against the right-handed Anthony Rendon. Malik Smith moves over to right field, and Jake Bowers gave up his first baseman's glove to Jose Alvarado and moves out to left field. We've seen a lot of rapid changes in baseball happening today. So what are some things do you think have changed so far? Well, Kazu, I mean, for me, baseball strategy in terms of the general manager side and then all obviously on the game side. And I think right now we see a lot of younger players that are being played more than the older players. And you can clearly see that from the off season where there's a lot more emphasis and value on trading for younger players and don't want to say it in a bad way, but dumping the old players. Obviously, the way the game has changed, especially with pitchers throwing a lot harder and bat speed playing up, I think a lot of older players are having a hard time. Catching up to that fastball, clearly. Uh, like If you look at the, some of the stats, like a lot of these younger uh, hitters are smacking all those 95 miles per hour fastball, and all of these older players can't catch up anymore. And if they do, they're just too early. Absolutely. And I think just uh, building off from our last podcast, where we talked about tanking, you can clearly see that the GMs are definitely looking to acquire young talent over aging talent and, and using that as a way to build a team and hoping to use that to 
strategize for future seasons. I guess adaptability is about the powerful difference between adapting to cope and adapting to win, right? Absolutely. I think it's a fine line between making that transition or staying the status quo of not changing. I think he's making it official on Monday. DJ LeMahieu aboard for two years. You broke the news first. What does it mean for the Yankees? Well, it means they have a player who's a gold glove second baseman who, guys, they say they're going to try and use it in multiple positions. They'd like to try and use him at second, first, and third. He's mostly been a second baseman in his career, so we'll, we'll see how this pans out. Adaptability indeed. The trend of the game has changed to become younger and more efficient, thus the versatility movement. The gig economy hit the league, and it certainly has affected the players who were in free agency this offseason. For instance, regular full-time players like DJ LeMahieu and Jit Lowry, who are regular second basemen, are no longer counted on to fill traditional everyday jobs. Baseball players are learning the hard lesson. Pay goes down when the work becomes more flexible and less steady. LeMahieu and Lowry are former all-star second basemen who signed with New York teams without a commitment to play second base every day. In this gig economy, they're worth less guaranteed money than free agents Omar Infante or Luis Castillo, who signed long-term contracts not so long ago to fill in their normal roles. This gig economy have disrupted traditional full-time job paradigm in favor of short-term work and independent contractors, even in the league today. Think of the current job economy where there are a lot more Uber drivers, temp workers, and even furloughed employees trying to stay afloat financially without a guarantee of a future. For ball players, the gig economy divides work among more players, which means less pay for players. Stats from last year show that a record 1,270 players appeared in Major League games. That's a 15.8% increase in jobs since 1998. The first season was 30 teams. Yet, the average salary went down for the first time since 2004 as team revenues has increased at an exorbitant rate. So Taro, seems like this gig economy has affected not only our lives, but also in baseball today. So why do you think that's the case? Is it because of demand and supply of having way too many talented players? Or is it because of advanced analytics exposing how long-term contracts with players in the 30s can be a detriment? I think that's a combination of things in terms of what's going on in Major League Baseball. Um, I think one of the main factors driving today's baseball is definitely financially. And how they derive to financially, uh, I think you have baseball diving into analytics, which dives into player and the cost of a player and, and using that cost and their performance and seeing the difference between how a young player compares to an older player and and normally we would say what are the comps what is the comp on a young minor leaguer who is on a cusp of becoming a major leaguer and let's just say some of the top prospects that are being covered by uh, and supported by the major league teams and the outgoing players that are free agents and looking to sign that mega contract that used to be in demand uh, several years ago that are now considered not such a good idea for these major league teams. And all of a sudden, you have this disruption in baseball of who's good and who's not. And I think the difficult part about the older players is that so much of baseball training is driven by technology and, and analytics, and obviously that always pushes the players to train better and learn about the game more. And when you have 
I would say 10-year difference from an older player. You can say is that, yeah, they are quite antiquated in terms of, of, of being able to keep up with the young players. And also as advanced analytics, it does seek in, uh, incremental edges as well. And if you look at like job sharing in the forms of platoons or super utility jobs for like position players, it limits the exposure for both starters and relievers. Like, like if you look at, let's say, Dodgers outfielder uh, Jock Peterson, He's 26 right now, and he hits 58 points lower against left-handed pitchers than right-handers. So from a team perspective, he can't only have a gig job. According to like a couple articles on New York Times and Forbes, had he played in the 1960s as Willie Davis did, Peterson would have been a full-time player. And according to that stat, Davis hit 42 points worse against lefties than righties at the same age as Peterson, and yet at age 26... Davis had five seasons with 550 or more plate appearances, while Jock Peterson only had one, and that was in 2015, his rookie season. Isn't that kind of interesting? Sure. There used to be a time when Major League Baseball would have singular players for singular positions. If you were a first baseman, you'd play first base. I think the role of a utility player, I believe there was a player, uh, maybe you can fill in, he was with Oakland. Uh, His name was Tony Phillips. And he was really one of the earlier players who played multiple positions. I think since then, I think a lot of the teams now require some of their players. For example, I think if you're a midfield position player, you have to either play second and short and vice versa. And I think with the way they feel, they set up the field, you know, they have to be able to move around. Uh, third basemans plays with first basemans or, you know, the vice versa. Catchers playing third base or first base. And sometimes even players wanting to pitch and pitchers that wanted to play. And so that's where we are today. There's a huge uh, mixture of that. If you look at even the prospects they bring up, a lot of them, let's say Houston Astros, all of them are technically shortstops, like second, short, and third. Bregman was a shortstop from Louisiana. He uh, came up and became a third baseman because of Carlos Correa. Altuve, also a former shortstop, but a second baseman. And whenever one of them are down, one of them plays their positions, and they call up another prospect usually to cover that position up or some replacement-level player to just fill it up. So I think it's interesting to see this whole platoon yet super utility movement where like players just get to move all over the place. One of the things that I clearly see on the eye test and going back to the steroid era, and again, we're talking at a time when players were still a singular position player and where today's baseball is. Clearly, the teams definitely see, again, let's talk about financially and flexibility on the roster. And if they don't have to have this one-dimensional player who was a first baseman and he could only DH or an outfielder who could no longer run and you put him in DH and you're stuck with a 25-man roster clearly limits their ability to compete in today's game as the game is much faster, and that includes both pitchers and players. You can see that change. What Taro is saying is true. One top club executive called the emerging system the puzzle piecing of a roster. They quote, strategically, more teams want to use depth and increasing emphasis on gaining advantage in matchups creates this deeper roster concept. In other words, in terms of creating supply, the industry is a little better at scouting and development, which includes at the major league level. So when the Mets introduced Lowry at a news conference, 
The line of questioning veered toward the contract he should have gotten, rather than the one he received, which is for two years, $20 million. But as a veteran player with an all-star resume, does he truly agree with the system? Like you said, didn't think we'd be sitting in this position uh, 20 years ago. Uh, I'd like to thank my wife, my Lessa, my kids back home, and uh, the rest of my family. Uh, it's just a, a really cool opportunity. I'm excited to be here and to be a Met. There is no denying the argument that veteran free agents have lost value. If you look at how Lowry, LeMahieu, and even Brian Dozier compared to Infante, who was a free agent in 2013, and Castillo, who was a free agent in 2007, they were both signed for more years and more guaranteed money and as everyday second baseman. When Yankees signed LeMahieu, GM Brian Cashman told him to bring many different gloves to spring training, which means the former everyday second baseman will train at all four infield positions. This kind of job sharing has taken off in recent years as analytics have gone mainstream. Thus, sit lineup cards are dying. In each of the past six years, the majority of teams have not used such everyday players, especially at second base. So in 2002, at the height of the steroid era, only 32 players at the age of 33 and older started at least 125 games, and only nine players were given such regular workload last year. That was a 72% decline in 16 years. And only two National League players, 33 and older, started 125 games last year. And that's Nick Markakis, who was an All-Star last year, just resigned as a Braves on a one-year, $6 million contract in Joy Votto. So what do you think of this uh, drop-off? Let's just take a look at some numbers reflecting the change of what's happening with younger players and older players. A whopping 26% decline in players age 33 plus in the total starts. That is a significant number, and that's across all the teams since 1998. And even today, they're playing even fewer starts, a number being thrown out. 9,720 fewer possible starts. What is the cause of this? Let's just say that teams are looking into their training methods and think about the effects of modern medicine. And obviously when you have younger players with better, let's just say different training versus the outgoing older uh, players that are I wouldn't say less trained, but uh, not in tune with some of the tools that the younger players have. Uh, obviously, you're going to see older players being shunned over young players. Uh, younger players today can play multiple positions. Uh, they definitely, for example, I think a lot of teams that are looking to sign college players, high school players, international players, they're well in tune to make sure that they, from the very beginning, are told to play at least two positions. Um, for example, I think if they sign a Dominican player, they want to make sure that a shortstop can definitely play center field. They want that speed and obviously arm and and coverage and that is one criteria. They want a shortstop that can also play second base. They want a second baseman to play third base. They want midfielders to play from third to first, and they want catchers to play third to first base. And obviously, these are the kind of things that the younger players are 
are capable of doing o- over the older players that are free agents and maybe not as versatile in terms of positions and the ability to play positions. So basically we're creating a super utility army. Absolutely. Uh, we're looking at a situation where they can swap out players on the fly. They can replace players on the fly. And so if one injured player is camp is lost for two weeks or on the IL or a couple of months, they can plug in another player or move another player and call up another player and and not having to sign one, these one-dimensional players that are on the waiver market. According to many stats, clubs prefer younger players because they generally mean cheaper, healthier players with more defensive range, more positional versatility, and faster bats to deal with the high-octane pitching environment of today. All of the 11 best hitters last year against pitches 95 miles per hour and faster were 30 or younger. Coming up after the break, Taro and I talk about the versatility movement is making significant impact in the league today. Welcome back to Sayonara Baseball. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Taro. And we're now here to discuss how this movement makes baseball more engaging and multifaceted. So why do you think the Major League is so big on the versatility movement more than ever? Well, uh, definitely we think about flexibility, strategy, but I would like to get into the whole historical aspect first. And I think we can always talk about Babe Ruth from Major League Baseball history. And when he was with the Boston Red Sox, he was a pitcher and, right. and a and very successful a pitcher at that time. And unfortunately, for financial reason, they trade him to, but actually he was, they started to transition uh, Babe Ruth into a player as a, as a hitter. The last few seasons, uh, while he was with the Red Sox before he was traded to the Yankees. And I think the Yankees just decided when he when he joined them that they would benefit greatly from, from all his hitting. Uh, hence, they decided he should just be an outfielder. But I think he clearly could have continued to play as a two-way player. Um, right. He was the OG two-way player than where uh, we have today, where we have, what, two, three players trying to be a two-way player. Exactly. And I think I think we're just kind of in that time of industrial revolution where uh, efficiency is if you're, you know, you're good at one thing, then you stick with one good thing and you'll produce more. But I think today, clearly, the game is evolving to multifaceted uh, versatility type of players. So I wanted to, like, dive more into the you know, movement, which is overall versatility. Two-way is part of that versatility movement. So I know in the 90s, they started focusing on creating these bullpen arms. And now they have a, you know, because of the Kansas City Royals uh, model, we have a completely different model where we emphasize more on bullpen arms than having starters go into uh, deeper length. There used to be a time where starting pitching used to pitch at least seven innings up to nine, just to complete the game if they can. But so could you tell me more of that the history and how that transitioned to how teams are using these techniques? Or? Well, let's just see. I mean, when I know about baseball, I think clearly the bullpen strategy, and again, I, I don't want to say because I'm a Yankee fan, but I think clearly the Yankees were always somewhat progressive in a time of believing in a strong bullpen. and And... They've always tried to have that bullpen to close out the games because they had a lot of older pitchers who couldn't quite get to the ninth inning 
and and hence they relied on the bullpen and the rest of the league followed through and the the bullpen game has evolved even greater uh, I, I can use examples when Cincinnati had uh, guys like Rod uh, Dibble and um, uh, Norm Charlton and uh, my God, I have, have the memory for that. Uh, guys like that, uh, where they had the dual-headed monsters for bullpens, and it's now evolved into triple heads. Uh, I think we can use again the Yankees several years ago when they had Andrew Miller, Chapman, Batances. and Batances. and then we can talk about Kansas City Royals when they had. Wade Davis, Kevin Herrera, and Greg Holland, and Greg Holland, and so all of a sudden, this model of having as many relief pitchers that can dominate to shorten a game, to win games, has forced teams to make their position players much more versatile as they rely on having more pitchers available. Don't you think? Uh, so right now, because the whole bullpen te uh, techniques are changing, that means instead of carrying the usual five starters. And five bullpen arm. Now the game changed to having eight to nine arms in the bullpen, including a closer. That means you basically only have three positions left in the bench in the twenty-five man roster. So you were talking about we need to have one backup catcher no matter what. So you only have room for technically two position players as a backstop, which is why I think this whole versatility movement is huge. So if you could have more players who could play every position possible, then you could have more arms, and and that means when your pitchers are more fragile than ever. You get more rest and you don't have many injuries. Clearly, yes. I think that's definitely the movement. And I think the question, you know, as you can see, many of the teams now have these so called bullpen shuttles from AAA, where if they're in a blown out game, they're forced to use some of their players as relief pitchers. And that's the number one example. And also to be able to shuttle fresh arms from AAA for their bullpen. And likewise, what they have to say is that even some of their short bench utility players, if one of the major, one of the starting players get hurt, they have to fill in right in immediately. And again, there's another shuttle for utility players from, from their minor league roster. They have to come up and play multiple positions. There's clearly seen that, that injuries and the way they train is... It, creates a domino effect of what players should be. So who do you think actually, why is it common now and who do you think actually started this whole uh, movement? Well, I, let's just say one of the teams I think was was a big uh, early adopter. I think, let's just say, let's go back to the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's in the 1990s, they had Tony Phillips and Tony Phillips played multiple positions. He was clearly one of the early guys who could really play all positions. And he was a quite good player. He was, he was very athletic. Then I think when he retired, that kind of disappeared. A lot of the teams were geared towards having a home run dominated team and, and, and players were really not so diverse. They, they, were, they didn't have the athleticism to play multiple positions. Yeah. And that clearly was a market at the time. And that was also part of the steroid era where Hey, if you had an aging player who could take some steroids, they could continue as a DH, or they could still perform in in left field or possibly right field. And if we look at a couple teams that you're talking about, besides Oakland A's, I think Tampa Bay Rays is the other example. 
that really had this versatility movement. Even now, if you look at the way they deployed their strategy, I mean, the opener has been a creative one, but I think the interesting one is when they, because they only have technically three starting pitchers in their roster and just a bunch of bullpen arms, what they do is they bring in someone, let's say Alvarado in the ninth inning to pitch to a left-handed batter. And next thing you know, he asked, I think in one game they asked Alvarado to play first base. Swap was the first baseman, and the first baseman pitched to a right-handed batter about got an out, and right after that, they swapped back, which is in the uh, league uh, rules, it's not illegal to swap positions. Because usually when you take out a bullpen arm, another bullpen arm comes in, so that means that pitcher's done, and that's for one out. But now because of that deploy uh, strategy, that makes it kind of interesting. And if you look at all the players that Tampa Bay developed, like Ben Zobrist, all, you know, all these players just played a completely different position and now they have to learn something new and, and which is why even though Ben Zobrist is like, what, 35? He still is in a team today signed on a ma- major contract. The game will require more and more, let's say, flexibility. Now, whether that change which may come with the next collective bargaining agreement. Maybe if the rosters do expand, do you think the players will or the teams will consider to even have greater flexibility? That remains to be seen. But I think the game right now with the injuries, I have never seen so many injuries happen now than ever before. I think players used to be able to play through injuries and, and stay on the field. But today, I think with all these million-dollar contracts, owners aren't willing to take a chance on further injury. And so, hence, you see greater flexibility in, in putting these guys on IL and having that shuttle from my from the minor leagues or, or using the waiver wires to look for players that can play multiple positions. I think even with a 26-man roster that's going to expand by 2020, I think the focus will still be on arms because if you notice how starting pitching arms and bullpen arms could be so fragile, they'd rather give more space for actual arms and deploy like a six-man rotation instead of giving more for position players. So I guess that's why it's so crucial. So if you look at the list of players who had to adapt these past few seasons, there are at least 15 of them who needed to really adapt to new positions. So if you look at Blake Swihart, he was a catcher, but played corner outfields for the Red Sox. Tyler Wade, a shortstop second base prospect, he also plays outfield because of the need. Daniel Robertson from the Rays, also infielder, plays every position out there. Jose Martinez from the Cardinals, just a first baseman, but because of Goldie, he has to play outfield. Uh, Jet Lowry, who was primarily a second baseman for Oakland A's in Houston, has to play every infield position out there. Ian Desmond, who originally came up as a shortstop for the Nationals, played first base, outfield all over for the Rockies. And Marwin Gonzalez, who's with the Twins now, but in the Astros, played probably every position whenever someone got hurt. So. There are a great deal of position players who have to adapt to play other position. Why is that? Well, again, I think let's say in-game situation where injuries do happen, I think you definitely on the fly need to be able to say, hey, pick up that glove and get on the field and cover that cover that position. Uh, and I, going back to having that big bullpen, you start to realize is that your bench is short, 
and what are you supposed to do? And if, 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 if your bench is even that shorter, who are you going to call to field that position? Hence, you would say a pitcher. And so I think front office of Major League Baseball clearly sees that injuries are playing a big role in fielding a team, a competitive team. And if you don't have that, I mean, look at the Yankees, per se, and the Yankees are a great example. I think they have eight, nine players who are clearly all-stars. Right, and, but injured. And injured. And they've, uh, and we can talk about this season, most of the players they have are quite versatile. They can play many positions. Uh, you look at some of the teams right now that that aren't performing very well. They are clearly still in the old status quo of not thinking about versatility. I mean, I would hate to be a team with Chris Davis on a team. <laughs> what do you do in a situation where you're stuck with a first base and DH? A situation who a, a player that can't hit, or a guy like field, or he can't field, even field, <laughs> or or guy like Miguel Cabrera on on Detroit. I mean, they, I think Detroit really clearly thought he was going to hit until he was forty years old. But I mean, injuries got to him. Injuries or, got to him. Or even if you look at the Angels, Pujols. Pujols. What he do with Albert Pujols? Like, if you make him field, he's going to get injured he's, right. easily. And but right now as a DH, which we're going to get into, Otani's a DH. Right. Where does he fit in this uh, whole puzzle? Exactly. So in terms of the financial structure, these players definitely, uh, they are a hindrance to the ability of a team to be competitive. Uh, they'd rather have, go back to young players, they would have young players who could play multiple positions. And clearly that gives them ability to compete on a day-to-day basis. And we were talking about pitchers fielding, so I wanted to get into that. Are there going to be more two-way uh, player movement? So let's say right now we have up to three. So we have Shohei Otani, who's the true OG of modern era, where he also pitches but also hits, but he's exclusively DH. But we have also some guys like Michael Lorenzen from the Cincinnati Reds, a bullpen arm who can really rake and hit, but also uh, plays in the outfield sometimes. And we also have Adam Davison from the White Sox, who also pitches and hit. So where we uh, headed towards that, because of scarcity, do you think we're going to have pitchers fielding now too? I, I, I definitely believe what you're saying. I, I, I definitely, we were talking about Tampa as being the most progressive team in terms of experimenting. I want to go back on one player that I've got to watch, uh, growing watching baseball in recent times, a guy like Brooke Kishnick. And he was drafted from the University of Texas, and he was both a pitcher and a hitter, and he was a pretty good hitter. And I do know for a fact that he was a hitter with Chicago and, and Milwaukee, and he was all right. And then uh, he gave pitching a shot because, you know, uh, Milwaukee thought that he could be a pitcher, and and obviously he succeeded as a pitcher, but at the end of the day, I think it is a difficult endeavor to be great at both pitching and playing on a day-to-day basis because it is a craft, and I think most players realize that if you're going to be a great hitter, you have to really be fixated on being a hitter and a positional player, and if you're going to be a great pitcher, you're going to have to focus on maximizing your ability to pitch a great game. And I think that's hard on a day-to-day basis. But Mm -hmm. clearly baseball in today's market, 
it, it does require demand to have greater flexibility. And so I think the GMs are clearly thinking about who they draft and they're looking at what they did in high school, what they did in college, if they had some background in pitching or as a position. And strangely enough, most of these young kids, when they're playing in the little leagues and in high school, they are actually two-way players. Mm-hmm. And even in college, correct? Right, especially college, like World Series or anything. I think the interesting part is I think you're right that there's more players who uh, get drafted have the two-way ability. Like if you look at the Yankees 2018 draft, you, we have Anthony Ziegler, who's a switch uh, hitting catcher, but also a switch throwing pitcher who ca- clearly can do both sides. It's just a matter of what the organization wants to do with it. So I just wanted to add something. And, and, and the thing about Little League's high school and college, most players play multiple positions. They're able to be both ways. But I think what happens when it becomes the professional level, there's clearly this nature of specialization. And let's just talk about in the nature of business, it is about specialization. And hence, we had a time when baseball was about specialization, big money, and steroids. And if you were good at one thing, hey, you created the market and you made a name for yourself for what you did. But the game has changed today. They can, when they look at drafting a player, they say, oh, you know, great, you were 9 0 in so and so high school or in college. Hey, but wait, you're a 500 hitter as well. Let's see what translates. You know, if, if they're clearly that good, they'll take a chance on a few players when they, when they acquire them and see where they go. Um, uh, and that leads to, you know, when, when, when they are fielding a team, they do have all that information these days where in the past they wouldn't consider it anymore because they're just one-dimensional players. Because we're in this uh, world where there's a lot of this gig economy where players don't get to play what they specialize in, but they have to cover everything. I think it reflects what we, uh, we are in the world today too, how the world works, where not everyone's just doing one job anymore. Everyone's doing two or three jobs at once just to get to what they want to specialize in. So I guess until you, same with baseball, until you get to make it, you have to play whatever you get asked to do no matter what. And it shows in every team, any call-ups, they play anything until they're proven to be something else. And I think um, if you look at baseball, baseball reflects the world pretty well. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I would agree. And uh, this gig economy, I think we clearly see it in other sports as well, where, uh, again, this is a topic of baseball, but you look at, uh, you know, hockey, football, basketball, they're all asked to play multiple positions. And strangely enough, you see, you know, seven foot uh, point guards in basketball, or, you know, you, you, you see a 200 pound running back playing as, as a as a blocking lineman, I mean, clearly that is it is considered a gig economy. They're you, they're playing multiple positions. Baseball, I think, will be ever. I think we'll see a future where all nine players are truly playing all positions. If you're stuck with the contracts, what are you going to do? Just throw them out there to pitch every once in a while and do something about it. <laughs> maybe we'll see. Um, maybe we'll see Jacoby Ellsbury pitch one day. <laughs> maybe uh, you're right. Jacoby Ellsbury could pitch just for the sake of it. 
<laughs> you you got to get your money's value, right? Yeah, exactly. That's it for this episode of Sayonara Baseball. Sayonara Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba, and Tara Hori. This episode was edited by me, Kazuki Akiba, with additional research and editing by Maria Tierney, Mike Wolfson, and Noah Chica. Our theme song is by Keith Marcus. Your laptop makes this episode. Sayonara Baseball is a production of Daylight Interactive and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Go to DaylightInteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Tara Hori. And this has been Sayonara Baseball.